Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Content and Caffeine. Very glad you could join me. This week, I'm joined by Dennis Shell, and we discuss how brands can develop a culture of content creation within their companies. Specifically, we're talking about uh, SaaS companies and software companies that generally have a technical crowd uh, inside, you know, driving the company forward. They're less focused on, on content marketing in general. They're more focused on, you know, building apps and building websites and that kind of thing. And they're not too worried about, you know, sitting down to write an article or produce a video or a podcast. So we talk about how we can extract data, extract information from those technical guys uh, and empower the marketers in that team to sort of drive the company forward with content. There's a lot of really cool uh, little hacks and tidbits of information in this episode. So listen closely and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Content and Caffeine. My name is Kaya Ismail, and today I'm joined by Dennis Shaw, a marketing consultant working out of San Mateo, California. Dennis has been working in the software industry since 1991, which is a year before I was born, would you believe it? Holding positions such as Director of Content Marketing, Director of Product Marketing at companies like DNN Corporation and Inkspo. Today, me and Dennis are diving into how software vendors can build a co- culture of content creation. Dennis, welcome to Content and Caffeine. Thanks for having me, Kai. No problem at all. So my first question to my guests is always a very easy one. Um, what is your favorite caffeinated drink and where in the world is your favorite place to drink it? Uh, my favorite caffeinated drink, um, which probably shouldn't surprise Common to many people is coffee. Uh, I, there's a particular brand that I love. It's called Pete's. It's P-E-E-T, apostrophe okay. S. They actually started here in the Bay Area in Berkeley, California, and have expanded a little bit. They're not nearly as large as Starbucks, but they are um, very, um, this coffee is very strong, which is what I love about it. And the favorite place I love to consume it. So first thing I do in the morning is I wake up, I go straight to my coffee maker and brew a strong cup of Pete's. And then I love to have it in my uh, TV room where uh, everyone else is asleep still. And so I enjoy coffee. And uh, coincidentally, I know the, uh, the, the, the name of this podcast is um, Content and Caffeine. I was at an yep. all-hands company meeting once, and I was talking to the organization about content marketing. So I know we're going to talk a little bit more about this. But I told uh, the company that I get my morning started with coffee and content. So it's kind of coincidence when, <laughs> yes. when you invited me here that it's uh, very close to the name of this podcast. For sure. I think a lot of content marketers start their day in the exact same way. And I yeah. definitely like to start it. But if I'm ever in California, I'm going to check out Pete's. So I'm making yes. a note of that. So good call there. Okay. So before we get into how software vendors can shift their culture and start churning out content for themselves, tell us a little bit about you and what you do. Sure. So I'm currently a marketing consultant. Uh, I previously had some previous roles where I was responsible for product and con- content marketing at software companies. I'm somewhat in between jobs right now, so I'm looking for a new full-time position. But in the meantime, I'm working with some clients on some short-term consulting projects related to uh, helping brands with their social media marketing. But the majority of my background has been in creating content for B2B software companies. And that has ranged uh, everything from helping manage their social media channels to managing the creation of all the content that the brand produces. So that's everything from top of the funnel type content like blog posts and social media posts to more middle of the funnel or bottom of the funnel, things like uh, more detailed white papers, 
I have been responsible for some pretty large webinar programs. I've also done things like uh, slide share presentations and infographics. And then even in some cases helped a little bit. This is not a specialty of mine, but helped a little bit with some of the product uh, documentation. Although I, I do specialize in product collateral, so more of like sales collateral. Uh, but I've also dabbled a little bit in some of the technical documentation, which is more of a post-sale thing. So you could say overall, I've been immersed in the world of content and I just love, I love both creating compelling content, but I also love finding and consuming it. Brilliant. And that, I think I think what you just said sort of encompasses the fact that content can be approached from so many different ways. I mean, it's not just content marketing, it's, you know, product documentation, it's sales collateral, it's internal stuff. Amazing. Amazing. You've been involved yeah. in a lot of stuff. And like I said, you've been in, in that space since 1991. So I'm sure you've touched on almost every, <laughs> every different type yeah. of content there is out there. So today we're talking about, um, again, software vendors and how they can create a, a, a culture of content creation. And this is obviously a tall order for, for many software vendors because, you know, they're not technical people at heart, you know, writing and recording videos and podcasting doesn't really come natural to them. They'd rather write some code, right? Right. So, but let's say a software vendor, as they usually do, they come to the realization that content and content marketing specifically is just too valuable of a thing to be ignoring. So at that stage, you know, they're, they're thinking, okay, we need to do this, but we don't have any marketers on the team. We've got one marketer who's already got their hands full. What should their first steps be towards, you know, some sort of content marketing strategy? Good question. I think the first thing to do, so you, the question, the premise of the question is you don't really have any dedicated resource for marketing or content marketing. I think the first question before you even start to think about could, could we bring on a resource or use an existing resource in-house is to start to think about the type of the content you want to start with. And I think in software, it's unique in that you don't have like the number one or the most obvious thing you might think of is let's launch a blog or, or maybe if we want to get more fancy, like let's launch a podcast. But in software, it doesn't have to be one particular thing. I think the interesting thing with software, especially with a lot of the emergence of open source software, is that it's possible that open source, like software that you or your organization creates can be provided to the community in an open source form. And in a way, that's a form of content marketing because you're giving something away to the world. And if someone downloads your open source project, then they start to become aware of your brand. And that's the same thing that a blog does is it makes people aware of your brand and your organization's expertise without them having to necessarily give something back to you. So like reading a blog, you don't have to register for that. And in the same way, uh, downloading your open source software is a form of getting your brand's message out to the world. So I think it's it's um, identifying how you wanna make your mark in the short term is a good start. It could be just starting to put some of your projects and making it available open source on GitHub or some other open source repository. Or it could be, I wanna launch a blog and talk about uh, Ruby on Rails or some, some methodology that your organization has expertise in. Uh, we can probably get into more details on what you do, do next, but I think the first step is identify what is gonna be that key thing or element that you're gonna make available to the world. Yeah, that's some great advice, brilliant advice. So I know a few software vendors who Again, like I just said, they've got one marketing person on their on their books, 
and they put that one person in charge of marketing and they don't give them a budget because there isn't a budget to, to outsource any work or to get third-party assistance either. So that person, they then think, okay, I'm only one person. I've got a lot of different tasks. I probably can't commit to creating two or three blog posts or, or a video each week or anything like that on a consistent basis. So what should that person do to get the broader team, the, the, the technical guys, the IT guys who are usually writing code and doing that kind of stuff, how can they get them to create and submit content on a regular basis? Is there any tactics or strategies that they can use to, to create that, con- that, that culture of content creation within, within the company? For sure. So I think the, I, would th- I would call it a two-step process. The first step is to identify as the marketer and maybe within the, uh, also among the leadership team that you already have, even though the, you've got one marketer and that marketer doesn't have budget yet, that the expertise in your organization does there's resides across all groups, whether that's developers, even finance, uh, legal, marketing, etc. Uh, so under uh, I think uh, the premise that we're talking about here, it's a company that's developing software. So the natural place where your expertise resides in your organization are the developers who are writing the software that your company then sells or monetizes in some way. So the first step is a realization that you already have within the organization a large army, I guess, of um, experts. And it's your job as the marketer to tap into the minds of all those subject matter experts and extract expertise that you share with the world. That then makes your organization look good because you're demonstrating the expertise your organization has. And it also makes the individual look good because uh, unless you're going to, unless there's some policy where you can't feature or disclose the name of the developer, I would recommend you fully make a star out of the developers. So whether it's Jane or Joe, you want to feature that this is their uh, expertise, even though you might be helping to tell the story as the marketer. And that is really going to be a key element of creating the culture of content within your organization is in getting the buy-in from the folks, the experts that you are drawing from. Um, and then step two, so I guess that's, that's kind of like going into step two already, which is activating and uh, motivating everyone involved. And so when you when you think of motivation, there's off two approaches that we often talk about: intrinsic and extrinsic. Extrinsic, extrinsic, extrinsic motivation <laughs> is kind of like a tangible thing. So it's like you help me write a blog post about you or about your expertise, and I'll give you a twenty five dollar gift card. That might encourage some people to say, "Okay, uh, it's not that much work for me. I'll, I can go, you know, to Pete's Coffee and buy twenty-five dollars worth of coffee." That can only, in my opinion, that only gets you so far with with uh, extrinsic. Although you can certainly use it to some degree. The bigger potential in my mind is intrinsic motivation, which is convincing your peers on the value of get sharing their expertise with the world. And this goes hand in hand with the concept of personal branding, which is if I can make developer Jane or developer Joe very well known within the circles that they um, like the technology they develop in and perhaps even beyond that, then they have a lot of um, to gain. And it's this is uh, them sharing expertise with the world that makes them better known. It might lead them to get a promotion in the current job. It might lead them to maybe head up a task force of some indus- some industry group. And it's really powerful. I think personal branding is something we all need to be thinking about. 
And if you can convince your peers in the organization that you in marketing can help them with their personal brand simply by sharing what they already know, then that can really drive the entire culture to change and for everyone to get involved in helping the organization tell its story. That is a great idea, making the developer or the person with the expertise, whoever that may be, the star and helping to build their personal brand through that content. I think that's a that's a massive incentive in and of itself, isn't it? Yeah. But um on that on that on that subject of incentives, you just you just sort of touched on that as well. But would you recommend the company dabble in the incentive stuff? You know, should they say, look, you know, for every blog post that you submit or every sort of ten bullet points you could help us out with, we'll give you a gift card. Or, or is it is it not a sustainable method to just leave that alone and just approach you know helping these people to to personal brand themselves instead? I think it's part of the uh, the whole extrinsic extrinsic side. I'm having trouble with that word. Is um, <laughs> it should be part of it? And I know there's a whole area of research around this concept called gamification. But it's the notion, and it's very similar to if you wear a fitness tracker like a Fitbit. It's just quantifying. Right the level of achievement that you have. And without that quantification, it might be a little less meaningful for people to understand the impact that they're making. So I do think you do want to include some tangible rewards, whether that's gift cards or something else, maybe even some organizations might provide a day of PTO. But uh, so extrinsic rewards along with some form of tracking that could be like the concept of a leaderboard. It could be a different status levels. But it does help, just like with you're wearing a Fitbit, you want to make sure you get to that 10,000 step level today or whatever that level is. Uh, you wouldn't be as encouraged to do that if you weren't wearing a fitness tracker. So I think just having that amount of tracking in the organization is useful because it keeps people uh, attuned and part of it and, and involved. Um, so I don't mean to say, so intrinsic is important, but I also think the whole concept of quantifying everyone's uh, participation is also important. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Let's get into like the nitty gritty of how we can make this work on like a, a realistic level, because what, everything you've just said, I, I've seen some software vendors that I've worked with personally, they'll incorporate that. And when it comes to actually asking that developer for some content, the developer turns around and says, you know, I'd, I'd love to, but I'm just not good at writing and I'm just not good at speaking and I'm not good at this. Or I'm not good at that. I just code, you know, just, just leave me alone. I don't want right. to do this stuff. Right. So what kind of content can a non-creative person contribute to help, help the marketing team? You know, I, I always yeah. say that, you know, any developer can record a screen capture with a voiceover showing off some, some of their software's features, right? Something simple like that and just narrate their way through how their software can launch a blog, for example. Right. Something like that, which is just great video content that the marketing team can run with. They can turn it into a blog post. They can put it on YouTube. They can put it on wherever it needs to go. And, and that helps a marketing team. So what kind of content should we be encouraging those those sort of, you know, those developers who don't want to create content? What kind of content should we su suggest to them? I would say start with content that they're most comfortable with producing. I don't wouldn't want to try to make a leap to go from someone saying I'm not a good writer to having them write a 2000 word treatise on philosophy. Yeah. But um, so I think what they're most comfortable with as a developer is tied to their code. And I know and I I think that's useful because other people like them in other organizations probably want to read code samples with here's how I did it. And I think as a developer, yeah. so I actually have some background in software development. 
I got my degree uh, years ago in computer science and started as a developer before I went into marketing. So I think a lot of developers are more than comfortable with their code. In fact, they take pride in their code. And for, so if you wanted to share a how-to on how I coded or some algorithm I developed and how I coded it, I've seen a lot of blog posts where it's the code snippet and, and an explanation. Uh, so even, and I do see a lot of this when I've worked in organizations in the past where I've tried to uh, evangelize the concept of content and the, the most common comment, which is the one you just said earlier, is I, I, I'm not a good writer. And I think yeah. it's the job of the marketer to convince everyone that everyone has writing ability and with a little bit of coaching, they, we can make them stars. Uh, so you, so it, I, what the approach I've taken in the past is to make myself available. So I'll say, put me, uh, my calendar is open, book a 30 minute spot. We can sit down, talk about the concept, and we can even do some, like some writing exercises together where they might start with a draft and I can work with them on the draft and say, here's how I might edit it a bit. Um, But like going back to the coding example, it should be pretty natural for someone who's a talented coder to say, like, I'll ask them, tell me about an interesting thing you achieved recently on your project. I'm sure they're comfortable at least speaking to me about that and then figuring out a way how we can put that into, say, a short blog post. And um, it's, it's very... Um, I would recommend at this stage when someone's just getting started out to be very hands-on, to sit with, sit down with them and help them through the post and show them. And when they see the finished project published on your company's blog, I think the hope is that they will realize, hey, I, I do have some potential in being a writer. Uh, so I think uh, to get back to the answer, find something that's comfortable to where they are and really help them through it. Great advice. There's some really good strategies in there. I'd also add that, you know, it's the job of the marketer to sort of remove barriers to to content creation. So again, like you say, instead of asking them to to do like a 2000 word essay, you can just say, hey, just give me some rough bullet points on on some points you you think we should touch on. You know, just four or five bullet points in an email is enough for us to give us something to go on. Or, you know, give the broader team um, Instagram access, you know, give everyone access to to the brand's Instagram handle and just encourage people to just maybe put up an Instagram story every 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 day or two or you know just document something they did in the office um one day just some small you know, tidbits of content like that can go a long way and that can naturally become part of the 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 company culture I feel yeah um yeah, yeah. those are both great so ideas coming from yeah thank you <laughs> coming from another angle is it okay for a software vendor to just put their hands up and say hey we aren't good at producing content <laughs> We're good at producing code and great software products, and we want to focus on that. And we don't really want to invest in a, market, a full-time marketing person right now. So we're just going to outsource our blogging, outsource our video creation, hire a podcaster, all that good stuff. And they can do the heavy lifting while we focus on on coding and focus on improving our product. Is you know Should vendors feel bad about taking that approach? Is, is that something that they should look to improve, or should they just embrace that and, and, and run with it? Well, I would say, I'll give you two answers. One is um, the first answer where it's the concept where a brand, they, it's certainly very admirable to focus on creating the best product for your customers. So I, I love that. Uh, if, if you choose to outsource all content, so let's say you hire an agency to do all of your content, I think that's fine. It, that's that's the, the route you want to take. And there's a lot of great agencies out there. 
so long as you are still having some business owner that could be the CEO or could be the CMO or or somebody to oversee that creation. So it's just not an open ticket that says here agency, here's generally what we want to publish about, go do it, publish it. It's got to be overseen closely so that there's alignment on the uh, the brand voice, the mission, is it, uh, our values, and so Absolutely. that you are but almost managing the agency as if you were managing your own employees to make sure that yeah. the product they put out there with the content is as good as the product that you put out there with your software. So I think it's okay if you decide to outsource content. And I think it's also okay if you believe that your your primary focus is on the product and you would decide not to produce content marketing right now. It's okay so long as you're finding the target customers you want. Like if you're satisfying all the demand that your resources can fulfill on, it's okay that you're not creating content. Uh, it's usually people lo are looking to get into content marketing when they're per uh, perhaps looking to expand into new markets or expand their customer base. Content is kind of like the lure to get new customers in the door. So it's right. not, I'm not going to bang the table and say every organization needs to do content marketing. Yeah. Yeah. I think you made a really important point there, which is you can't just hire an agency or even a freelancer and just say, hey, you're going to do our content and, you know, here's our access to the blog and we'll see you in six months. We'll see how the traffic looks and how right. you've got any leads from it or whatnot. That will definitely be, that's a recipe for disaster, right? I mean, the the client themselves, the software vendor in this case, have got to be hands on with that client, with that uh, agency to know, you know, what kind of content is being produced. Is it on brand? Is it, does it have our voice? Uh, is it even good quality content, right? Right. So exactly. for sure, I think, you know, even if you do, hire an agency you've still got to be hands-on to an extent to the point where you right. know what's happening on a weekly basis i mean when content's going out there whether it's through your blog on twitter on youtube that's that's your company's voice and if you say something wrong if you say something that's misleading then that could devastate your entire company you know um, right. potentially so that software that you're spending so much time perfecting is now you know the brand of it and the, the image of it in your customer's eyes is totally ruined because your blog post said something that was totally incorrect and someone signed up and paid some money and it was wrong and now you're in trouble. Right. So yeah, I agree with you for sure. They've got to be hands-on either way, to be honest with you. Yes. Okay, so is there anything else you think that the audience ought to know on this topic? Any other tactics or tips that you've used to build a solid culture of content creation that we might have missed today? Sure, I'll, I'll give two tips on creating this culture. Uh, actually, one, one of... Maybe three tips. <laughs> One that okay. I just thought of is that when I was looking to do this at DNN, there was a report by Rebecca Lieb at the time she was at Altimeter Group. And I'm pretty sure the title of the report has culture, the culture of content in, in the title. And so I started talking about using that terminology internally. So it's a great research report. I think you, you might have to register to download it. And it goes through Rebecca Lieb's methodology for how marketers or how anyone can build a culture of content in your organization. So that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, there's a huge importance in getting leadership and management buy-in to the cause. I would argue that if management is not buying into the concept of culture of content, it pretty much won't happen. So at DNN, I was fortunate to have a CEO, Naveen, who was passionate about content himself. So 
when I went to him with this concept to say, well, let's tap into more of our employees to, to uh, produce content, it was, uh, it was a slam dunk. So I think, uh, so that was an easy scenario. And in, in other organizations, you'll need to, you may need to convince perhaps skeptical leaders on this concept of a culture of content. A little bit of a chicken and egg because you, you'd love to be able to show results to justify it, but you can't get results until you start to get um, yeah. some, some activity. So in some cases, you might have to navigate somewhat um, like in a skunk works manner, just go do it and then show the results. And then number three is one thing that I did was ask our CEO when we got the entire company together for all hands meetings, I asked for a five minute spot for sharing recent content contributed by employees. And I decided to create a slide, which is a not sure if folks are familiar with the show Brady Bunch, but you had like the six kids and then the two Bradys in the oh, middle. Yeah. <laughs> so I would put a slide together with the profile photo of everyone who contributed. And then I would add to that, it would be additive. So I'd add a photo for every new person and got to a point where it was like a full slide. And it was a powerful way to show the company, everyone who's participating in the culture of content. And then there would be some employees who are not on there and it might encourage, motivate them to say, I want to join my colleagues and be part of this, you know, get onto this slide. That's brilliant. <laughs> the Brady Bunch, the Brady Bunch <laughs> culture. I like it. Yes. Okay, let's move on to our, our quick fire round now. So first question, what's your favorite social media platform and why? It's Twitter for sure. Uh, and the reason is the fact that it's open, meaning I can follow celebrities. They don't have to follow me back. People can follow me. I might may or may not follow them back. And you can just a lot of things, obviously news breaks on Twitter, but I've just uh, been fascinated in meeting new people on Twitter, some of whom I've de essentially developed friendships with. I guess you're an example where yeah. we connected yeah. on Twitter and we have never met in person, but I feel like I know you pretty well. So I think Twitter by far. Yeah, I, th I feel the same. I feel the same. Excellent. So whose content do you consume the most right now? I do consume a lot, but I guess in terms of the most, I'll I'll name two. One is um, Orbit Media Studios. It's uh, orbitmedia.com. It's Andy Crestadina and team. They're a web web development firm in, in the Chicago area in the U.S. And Andy and team put out a lot of great content on. It's very prescriptive, but long form uh, for marketers. It's Google Analytics. It's social media marketing and the like. And the second okay. would be Nielsen Norman Group. I believe it's nngroup.com. They're an organization of user experience researchers. Uh, they go beyond user experience. They publish a lot of content about uh, website best practices, like your mega menus or what have you. And uh, they usually will put out content, a few new articles per month. And I always check back and find their, both their research and their articles quite useful. Excellent. I'll, I'll check those guys out. So for the, the third and final question is, what's the most helpful piece of advice you can give to a company who wants to start producing content that makes an impact? I would say first, just define what impact means. Is that new customers? Is it higher brand awareness? Is it um, new donors to your nonprofit? Uh, and that needs to have some agreement across the leadership team or across the people that care about the content initiative. And then once you define what impact means is uh, determine the metrics that you're going to use to measure the impact. And then from there, 
there might be an entire new podcast, a different podcast on how to drive the impact. But I think just knowing what you want to achieve is the best first step. Great. I love it. Dennis, I think you've given some great insights. What is the best way for people to reach you online? The best way would be Twitter that I mentioned. I'm D- at Dshao, D-S-H-I-A-O. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. We'd be happy to connect with you. Brilliant. Thanks again, Dennis. Like I said, huge insights in there for, for the listeners. So uh, thanks very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Guys, thank you for listening to Content and Caffeine. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to share it with your friends and your colleagues. And please remember to rate and review us on iTunes or whichever app you're listening to us on. If you're looking for show notes, head over to wordify.co forward slash podcast. And I'll see you again next week.